Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing chains are gone I've been set free my God my Savior has ransomed me and like a flood His mercy reigns unending love amazing shall soon dissolve like snow the sun forbear to shine but God who calls me here below will be forever mine will be forever mine you are forever 
Sherry, you bless us as always. If you have your Bible, something that opens the Bible, will you open it up to John chapter 21? John chapter 21. Thinking about the relationship between Jesus and Peter and what uh, Peter had done in denying Christ. And uh, Christ obviously extends that amazing grace. And so certainly see that correlation of wonderful grace that uh, we can toil with everything we want, but man, we just submit to Jesus and he gives us that wonderful grace like he gave to Peter. This is a very familiar passage we're going to look at tonight. John chapter 21. I'm going to look at just three verses, verses 15 through 17. Uh, calling this loving and feeding or love and feeding. I have heard a number of messages in my lifetime on this particular passage. You probably have too. And there's a lot that can be drawn out of these passages. Now, before you ask, I'm not going to get into numerology. I know that some people like to get into the whole numerology. Jesus asks Peter three times, do you love me? And uh, three times gives him that great commissioning uh, to go and take care of the sheep. And uh, a lot of people like to read into that. Uh, I, I, I just believe Jesus did it three times because Peter had denied him three times. And, and it was just kind of a, a public way of helping him declare his faith in Christ. Uh, I don't think the three times coordinates with the three nail holes that Jesus had or the three days that he spent in the tomb or anything like that. It, it could be, be. I just don't get into numerology, so I just want to stick to scripture if that's okay with you. Uh, you may say, well, then why did he tell uh, Peter, go feed my sheep three different ways, three different times? Because every good teacher knows you have to repeat yourself at least three times before the students get what you're trying to say. And I was, I was talking about this with my wife, and she says, what are you talking about? I have to tell them what I'm going to tell them, then I have to tell them, and then I have to tell them what I told them. And that's just what Jesus was doing. He was telling Peter what he was going to tell him, tell him, and then tell him what he told him. And here's, so here's what I really want us to concentrate, though, on these three little verses, is love for God and what it demands of us. Our love for God and what it demands of us. And I forgot my pulpit mic tonight, uh, Johnny, so I'll use this one. Well, let's read our scripture, John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, uh, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Verse 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we thank you for its impact on our life. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us all to listen this evening as we talk about what it means to love you, our love for you, and what that love essentially should demand from us. Uh, we thank you for this word. And, uh, Father, I pray you would give us a proper time to look at it. It's your name I pray, Lord. Amen. I, I paused and hesitated each time because that Simon, son of John, uh, Simon, son of Jonah, in most versions, also can translate Simon, son of John. And one of the times, I told you I've heard this preached a number of times. One of the times I heard it preached was Jesus was calling him the son of Jonah because just like Jonah had turned away from God, Peter turned away from God. No, actually that Greek uh, word for Jonah and John is nothing like the Hebrew word Jonah, if I understand the language correctly, that actually this was just uh, Peter's dad's name. 
and it was probably John, uh, and nothing like the Hebrew name uh, Jonah. And so there's not, a, there's not a correlation there between Peter and the Old Testament prophet Jonah that turned away. Although there is, obviously, uh, because they both did turn away from their Lord and their Savior. Uh, three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? And three times Peter emphatically replies, I love you. And, and of course there's variations in our language to how these statements are made each time. The first time in verse 15, Jesus asks do you love me more than these? Y'all saw that, right? Verse 15, do you love me more than these? And it's the only time that Peter, or Jesus makes that statement. And, of course, the question we've got to ask is, what are the these? When he says that, what are the these? I've heard this preached a number of times. One time I heard it preached was that Jesus was talking about the fish. Do you love me more than these fish? Not, do you love me more than this, these fish you're eating? Do you love me more than a fish fry? Although I think I might struggle with that from time to time if I was in my flesh. Uh, yes, Jesus, I do love you more than a fish fry, although sometimes I can love me a fish fry. No, what this is talking about, some speculate, is it's not about the food, but it's the old way of living. Remember, Peter was a fisherman, and Peter was called out of that former life. And this is possibly would require us, though, to see Peter... When he went fishing, what we talked about last week, when he went fishing, to see that as a sin. To see that as, as being rebellion against the call of Christ, and to being his disciple, to being an apostle, and going back to his old way of life. And I told you last week, I don't see Peter getting the boat and going fishing as a sin, or, or his way of rebelling against the call of Christ, but that he was just trying to fill time while they waited on Jesus to get there. And so I don't think that Jesus is referring to the fish, or going fishing, or the occupation of fishing. Uh, I also don't think that because, you know, when Paul was called into his apostleship, he still made tents, and there was nothing wrong with that. So I don't, I don't think there was anything wrong necessarily with them supporting themselves financially with their old way of doing things. So I, I, I just don't. The other reason is, you remember last week when we looked at it, what did Peter do when he found out it was Jesus on the shore? He, took, he, he got his clothes back on, he jumped in the water and went swimming. He did not hesitate. He, did not, he made haste, as my grandfather would say, to go be with Jesus. That's not someone who is sinning. That's not someone that's trying to, uh, to, to uh, hide their shame. That's someone that's looking for a moment of reunion with their Lord. So I don't think he's talking about the fish. Then uh, these could be referring to the disciples. Do you love me more than you love your fellow disciples? I don't see the correlation here. I've heard this preached. I don't know about you. I've heard this preached. I don't see this correlation here. We never see Peter uh, struggling with loving his fellow disciples more than he loves Jesus. We don't ever see that being a real issue. So then these, the final one is this, these are the disciples. But it's not, do you love the disciples more than you love me, Peter? It's, do you love me more than the disciples love me? I'll tell you why I think that's the one. It's a question of devotion. Do you remember to that moment in the garden... When Jesus is talking about he's about to go, to go go be put to death, and Peter says, I'll not deny you, I'll stick with you like glue. He didn't say that, that's my interpretation there. But do you remember how strongly, emphatically Peter makes that statement? The Gospel of John doesn't capture it. It's the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. Matthew 26 and Mark 14, write that down, you go look at it later. Do you remember Peter's response? The Gospels of Matthew and Mark quote Peter as saying, 
even though all may fall away, I will never fall away. And when he says that, they're in the Garden of Gethsemane, and the only ones with them are the other ten disciples. Judas is gone. It's just those ten disciples and Peter. So it's the eleven of them together. So you know who the all is, right? Right? Even if these other ten guys fall away, Jesus, I'll never fall away. In other words, I'm more devoted to you than they are. I'm ready to die with you. And really, this is a, it's a real show of, you know, machismo, that macho kind of moment, that manly, manly moment. Of course, the problem was later when this macho, macho man shrunk at the question of a little girl at the fire, right? And I believe part of the, the reparation of relationships that's happening here with Jesus and Peter is also with the other disciples. We're all humans. We're all capable of feeling this emotion, this, this feeling, right? If, if one of us threw the rest of us under the bus, wouldn't we have a, just a tinge of bitterness towards that person? I mean, I know I would. I'm going to struggle with that. If everybody, if, if one of you threw me under that, well, I don't know about the pastor, but I would stick tough to Jesus. He, he may fall away, but I wouldn't. And then especially that guy was the first one to, to deny Jesus. And really the, the most public and, and verbal denial that we read about in the Gospels was of Peter. Because Peter had denied the Lord publicly and thrown the other disciples under the bus publicly. Confession and restoration had to be done publicly. Of course, this is not the only time Peter had to be humiliated publicly. We read about that also in Galatians chapter 2 when he decides he doesn't want to eat with the Gentiles when the Jews show up and he hides himself from them. Now, many sermons have been preached over this scripture again, and each of them probably make quite a big deal over the two different Greek words here for love. So beyond that, that moment where Jesus says, do you love me more than these? The other big thing that is made out of this scripture this text is the words for love. There's two words that are used for love here. One is the Greek word agape. The other one is the Greek word phileo. And so what happens in this, this uh, interchange with Jesus and Peter is Jesus asks him twice, do you agape me? And Peter responds twice, I phileo you. Yes, Lord, I phileo you. And then the third time Jesus says, do you phileo me? And Peter says, you know all things. Of course I phileo you. Now, you, you may be like, okay, okay, what does that mean exactly? <laughs> Agape is a, uh, it refers generally to an unconditional love, an unconditional devotion. Uh, generally, when we think of agape, people will entitle this as God's perfect love. There is no failing in that love. In 1 Corinthians 13, when Paul describes this wonderful love that never fails, that is agape. And that's what Jesus asks him twice. Do you agape me? Do you have this unconditional love and devotion? Phileo, however, refers more to a brotherly love or friendly fondness. It's a warm affection that you would have between two friends or maybe distant family members, right? You know, he's not my close cousin, but he's a cousin, that sort of, that sort of relationship there. And so there is a difference. There's a difference. Jesus asks Peter twice, do you agape me? And so on the one hand, there may be a, a, a big thing to make out of this. What, what's going on when Jesus asks him? Peter responds. But on the other hand, what's so interesting about the Gospel of John is he, from time to time, interchanges these two words. For instance, we know God loves the world, right? God loves the world. In John 3.16, that is, God so agape the world that he gave his only begotten son. 
But a little later in the Gospel of John, talking about the same subject, he says in John 16, 27, For the Father himself phileo you. Does God's love all of a sudden lessen? No, I think John is using these Greek words interchangeably. Another time this happens, okay, we know God loves the world. We also know God the Father loves God the Son, right? The Father loves Jesus. John 3.35, the Father, agape, the Son. But then a little later in John chapter 5, verse 20, for the Father, phileo, the Son. Did God's love for the Son suddenly lessen? course not. So I think there are times that John, in writing his gospel, may not differentiate between these two different types of Greek words for love. Now hear me, I'm not saying, if you've heard this preached before, and I know, again, you've probably heard this preached before, and some pastor has made a big deal about the agape and the phileo, I'm not saying they're wrong. They may be, and especially if that was your favorite pastor and that was your favorite sermon he ever preached. Please don't hear me saying he was wrong. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I'm not making a big deal out of that tonight. I want us just to focus on the fact about the issue of love. That's all I want us to focus on. Let's, let's not focus on the type of love that John is talking about. Let's talk about just the fact that there is an emphatic question about love going on here. That's the bigger picture. Jesus is questioning Peter's love. And the real shift here happens in verse 17. Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? What's the shift in verse 17? The shift is this. Peter is finally grieved. The first two times he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But the third time it says Peter was grieved. Now, we can interpret that little word a lot of different ways. But what grieves me is spiritual conviction over sin. I think what happens here this third time is Peter finally gets what's going on. And I think he's grieved. I think he's cut to the heart. I think he's feeling the, the conviction, the remorse, the sorrow that happens when the Holy Spirit convicts us. In this case, it's the Son of God himself convicting Peter of his sin. Peter, was he grieved because Peter because Jesus said, Peter, do you phileo me? Or was he grieved because he had finally gotten the spiritual conviction? I really think it has something more to do with the spiritual conviction and Peter recognizing that Jesus recognized, get this, Peter recognized finally that Jesus recognized you've got a love problem, Peter. You've got a love problem. Can I tell you one of the deepest cutting spiritual convictions for me that I've ever felt was not over necessarily the sin in and of itself, but that the continual living out of that sin was a physical manifestation that I loved that thing more than I loved Jesus. If it was gluttony, then it's that I love food more than I love Jesus. That hurts. Doesn't that hurt? You think about the thing that you choose to sin about. That's the thing that you love more than you love Jesus. And that reality coming to light should cause us all to be grieved. It's a love issue. And as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, our greatest calling is still to love. Jesus didn't do away with the greatest commandment of all time. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your body. He doesn't do away with that at all. He completes it, and he still holds it up as the greatest commandment of all. Love God. There's a story I heard of two men who were out golfing. One was lining up on the 
on the putting course. He was about to drive home that putt when all of a sudden they noticed a funeral procession going by. And the man who held the putter stopped and he removed his cap and he got down on one knee and he said a prayer. A prayer of devotion, a prayer of, of thoughtfulness, a, a, a prayer of sadness and grief over the dearly departed one. When he was done and the funeral procession had gone by, his golfing buddy was so moved at that moment, he told the man, wow, that was so touching and moving. You have such reverence for human life that you would stop your golf game. Such thoughtfulness. And the golfer replied, well, we were married for 34 years. I figured the least I could do was stop my golf game for a few seconds and notice her procession going by. But see, that's the struggle we have with our love for God. It's a nod on the course of life as we go about playing our game with business as usual. But that is not what our love for God should be like. It should be this internal flame that burns deep within us and causes us and compels us to keep going back to us, to cause us to jump into the lake and go swimming for him. That's the, the way our love should be played out. But that's the struggle we have. That's the struggle I have. Jesus, again, he affirmed the greatest commandment. And that great commandment has not changed today. And when we sin, and, when we, and we will sin, we will sin every single day. The question we should perhaps consider in the midst of that conviction is, what does my sinning say about my love and my devotion to God? What should it say? Or what does it say? Well, he doesn't stop there. Obviously, the, the message doesn't stop with just the loving. Because each of these times that Peter replies, yes, you know I love you, what does Jesus say? He says the first time, uh, feed my sheep or feed my lambs. And then the second time, he says, tend my sheep. And then the third time he says, feed my sheep in verse 17. It's a commissioning to take care of the flock of Jesus. The sheep that knew his name, that he held firmly in his grasp, he talks about in John chapter 10. It was a call, it was a commissioning to Peter to feed the sheep, the word of God, to protect them and nurture them. Is this scripture applicable only to preachers and pastors? Is this only applicable to apostles that have been called from the fish shore to, uh, by, by Jesus himself? You know, as a pastor, certainly, or any type of minister for that matter, in the name of God, in the name of his gospel, we need to take notice that our sin is not a deterrent from God's calling on our life. If he has called us to preach the gospel, he's called us to preach the gospel, and sin doesn't stop that. And I think that's what he's telling Peter. I love you. Do you love me? Good. Then get, get back to work. Get to doing the job that I've called you to do, Peter. Feed my sheep. Tend the sheep. Keep up with the lambs. And while the whole of us are not called to be shepherd of God's sheep, certainly we recognize that each of us have a role in God's flock, the church. Each of us have a role in a way of shepherding God's flock, taking care of God's flock. You may not realize it, but when you help out with children's ministry, you're tending those little lambs. You may not realize it, but when you're driving kiddos to camp out of the good nature of your heart, you're helping, you're feeding those sheep. Maybe not you're feeding them the Word of God, but you're certainly encouraging them and the other adults that are working with them. When you lead us in awesome songs on Sunday morning and have a bright and wonderful spirit, you're taking care of us. When you give a good word to the person sitting next to you in the pew, you may not say anything to anybody else except the person next to them, and you say, I sure am glad to see you. Don't you know you're nurturing their heart? 
Don't you know you're ministering to them in the name of Jesus? You're feeding them in a way. Absolutely. And that's a call that all of us have. But there's a deeper application than it is this. I know that you have forsaken me, Peter, but I've not forsaken you. And whatever I called you to before your sin, I'm calling you to today. Now, do you love me? Whatever your name might be, fill it in there. God has not forsaken you, and he has not removed the call of his call from your life just because of a sin that you have acted out or kept on doing. And so this is a call to service that is birthed out of our love for Jesus. Yes, Lord, I do love you. Then he says, get back to what it is I've called you to do. And this isn't how love is supposed to be, or this is how love is supposed to be, forgiving, restoring, and sending us out over and over and over and over. God never says, I'm done with you. As long as we keep coming back to him and saying, I recognize my sin and I'm grieved. But instead what happens is that we allow our sin to deter us from what God has called us to do. We allow it to depress us, to condemn us, to hold us from doing all that we could do and be in the Lord's name. We allow it to discourage us from serving. Here's what I'm saying. Sin hinders us in what love motivates us to do. Sin hinders us in what love has motivated us to do. And our love for God should give us a willingness to serve in His church anywhere with a glad heart, no matter what our past has been, been doing, no matter what we have going on in our past. I read a story about a flight attendant who was wanting to go on a vacation to Europe. And her, her, uh, her airline had a special deal. If you worked for that company, that you could get on any flight as long as they had room and fly anywhere in the world for free. And so being a flight attendant, she uh, found the available flight, the available seats were available, and, and so she got on the flight. But during the course of the flight to Europe, an incident occurred, and the flight attendant uh, assigned needed some help. Those flight attendants that were already working that flight needed some help. And this flight attendant who was taking her vacation trip, sitting in the seat, recognized what was going on. I mean, she's an experienced flight attendant, right? And so even though she was on vacation, she quickly notified the crew who she was and what her employment was and that she actually worked for that company and that she was willing to help. Of course, they took, took her right up on it and put her right to work. And she wasn't getting paid for that. She, she didn't suddenly clock in and start getting paid for her service. She was not er, uh, working to earn her flight to paradise. She had already gotten it. It had already been granted to her. She didn't volunteer begrudgingly because no one else was willing to do it. She volunteered because she was able and willing. Of course, it helped that she loved her employer because they were giving her a free flight to paradise. And so out of that love-filled heart, she was more than willing to stand up and serve however she was needed. It saddens me that in today's church, not just this church, but in today's church, there are so few willing to serve. We continue to heap on to the ragged few, those that continue to say yes, and we just keep on giving them more responsibility, but the rest are just unmotivated. Question is, is it because they've not had love from the one granting them a free flight to paradise? Is it because they're not burdened about all the needs of their fellow passengers? 
My prayer and my hope is that you'll join with me in prayer over this matter. That we will be motivated by love and not allow to sin to hinder us from the call of service that God has issued to us. Oh, it may not be to feed the sheep from a pulpit, but it's certainly to serve those. Those that are in our midst and those that are in church with us. To serve, not because we feel uh, obligated out of some sort of sense of begrudging guilt, but because we love the employer who has given us a free flight to paradise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much for what you do for us. I don't deserve it. And I know there's others here that recognize that as well. And Lord, we just pray that you would motivate us and, and help us to see that great love that you give to us and that out of our great love for you, we would be motivated to serve all the days of our life. Lord, help us to see our calling in your church. It may not be to preach from a pulpit, but it's certainly to serve others that are along the ride with us. Thank you for these that are here. Lord, we pray at this time that we would just respond however your Holy Spirit is leading us to. In your name I pray, Lord. Amen.